So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here's the answer. I'm A.J. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. And I have such a good topic today. I don't want to waste any time with any of the community stuff, any intros. We're going to jump right into it. And today I have with me Hadar. How are you doing? I'm very good. Very good, AJ. Very good to see you. Thank you for having me today. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, before we jump into uh, talking about deals and particularly stress testing deals, which is such an important and great topic, a really important for our, our interviewer or for our listeners to get a grasp on this. But um, I want to talk about real quick here. Give us kind of your background. So let us know, you know, tell us about you. Tell us about your background. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm an American citizen currently speaking to, to you from uh, from New Zealand. I was born and raised in Israel. My mother is American. She was born in Chicago, and she met my dad in, in, in the States, and then they moved to Israel. Uh, about uh, 16 to 17 years ago, if you like, I immigrated from Israel to New Zealand and uh, started uh, my real estate path through wholesaling. I started wholesaling, you know, it was no money down transaction, just assigning contract for fees and doing double closing. Gradually, I'll build enough uh, down payments to start uh, flipping houses. And as you do, as you progress within the path from, from wholesaling and just getting 5000 to 10000 a deal, when you flip and you renovate them and you then sell them for, for a much bigger profit, I managed to build up a deposit and build up build up a buy and hold portfolio, which consists of a multifamily and now, you know, nearly 20 years later, also commercial real estate. Um, so the New Zealand market have appreciated significantly in the last uh, seven to 10 years. It, the the carpet's really compressed and the demand is so strong. So it became a mature market, if you like, more like uh, San Francisco, Boston, LA, where, where there's no cash flow opportunities. Yeah. So although my portfolio that I bought over the years now is cash flowing well, um, I'm really, really uh, had a decision about five years ago to start looking further afield, if you like, to start looking into the U.S. and get myself educated and start investing in uh, multifamily apartments, communities, when you can buy multiple units in one transaction, anything from, you know, when you go into commercial from five units into 150 units. So that's how I started my path. I wanted to build a cash flow machine in the U.S. that will allow, allow me to live the lifestyle by design that I'm living today. That's awesome. I love that. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot, obviously, about real estate on cash flow to freedom and business. And, and you know, one of the things that you'd mentioned beforehand and that we were talking about was when you're looking at deals, we've we've talked a lot about finding deals. Um but you mentioned this, and I think it's really important, and this is stress testing deals. So why don't you explain to our list listeners, first of all, what stress testing is on a real estate um, deal? So stress testing is pretty much uh, implementing a different scenarios, if you like, when you are uh, analyzing a potential investment. So with multifamily, which I do, and I'm going to talk specifically about uh, commercial-grade multifamily, you know, when we're looking at 20 units, 50 units, 100 units, that, that's kind of what I'm uh, in, into today, nowadays. Uh, you really want to play with the scenarios and say, what if occupancy is, is decreasing? What, what if we have 
uh, a lot of delinquencies. Now with COVID, a lot of some tenants cannot pay. So how would the property perform if that happens? You want to you want to make sure that you are able to to see what will happen. For example, when you if you're looking to refinance the property three or four or five years down the track, if the cap rate expanded now we have been we had a very good uh, in seven or eight years you know the economic expansion and a lot of cap rate compressed property value go up when the cap rates are compressing so basically what will happen if the conference is expanding if you're buying at the six cup at the market cup for example and then you want to sell it but suddenly the market have changed and the prices have gone down meaning the cap rates expanded to seven or eight cup how would that be? Would you have enough equity to refinance the deal or even perhaps sell with a profit? So that's another thing that we are uh, we're looking at. I can go through the through the for the bullet points if you like of the specific things that we look for that uh, we have to measure when we stress testing a deal. Would you like me to go, AJ? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I think you know it's really because you bring up this such an important point, and that you know plans don't always go as planned, and there's. There's a lot in, obviously, the world and the economy and things that we don't have any control over. So understanding these different scenarios and how the asset might perform and what that means that you might need to do in those scenarios is fundamental, and particularly when you're dealing with other people's money and when you are doing this as a business. You need to make sure you have a plan and you need to anticipate those things coming out. So that, that'd be awesome. Walk us through your points um, that, that you need to be looking or investors should be looking at. Okay, absolutely. It's all about mitigating risk, like you say. We want to make sure that we are mitigating the risk that we took into account different scenarios. So the number, the number one thing that we say is really you need to know your market. You need to know how to underwrite deals, which you need to get yourself educated. Underwriting deals, a lot of people didn't know what it is. I don't even know what, didn't know what it is when I first came to the U.S. I thought that underwriting is to do with insurance. But underwriting deals is mean analyzing deals. It's just another, another grand word to say it. So you crunch number, you plug in the rents, you plug in what you're paying for it, perhaps what you need to do in repairs and all the expenses, and you see how it's performed. So playing with different scenarios. The first thing we play with, we underwrite when we are uh, um, putting the numbers into the, for example, an Excel spreadsheet, we're going to play up with the economic vacancy. So the difference between an economic vacancy and a physical vacancy, it means that you might have a property which is 100% full, but you might have 5 or 10%, let's say 5% of the people who are not paying, for example, with COVID for the month of, uh, of October. So that 5%, we're calling that uh, an economic vacancy. There are people there living in the property, there are residents, but they are not paying. So that creates an economic vacancy. So we typically predict, if you like, we play with the number for the first year, how would it be? How would the property perform if we have a 20% economic vacancy? How, what will happen? Would it still cash flow? Would we still be able to service the debt and pay for all the expenses? That's one thing that we do. We even take it further to year two and see how it will perform in, in a, with 25% economic vacancy. Taking in account, though, that we have a management, we like to buy value-add assets that have enough meat on the bone to increase the rent incre and increase the NOI, the net operating income, and appreciation, basically force appreciation. Mm -hmm. So so although we might have a, a stress testing for higher vacancy in year one or two, but we, we, we want to achieve a higher 
net operating income by increasing the income and increasing those rent. So it's kind of just looking how it will look. But typically, the property will, for our criteria for it to, to be successful, we want to see the property still cash flowing well, even with a higher, a higher uh, vacancy near one, two, and even three. The, the, which that leads me to another very important point that we call the margin. The margin is the break-even point. So we're adjusting the, the money that's coming in by creating a false, if you like, once we're stress testing the deal, false a higher vacancy. And we want to see what is the break-even point. What is the margin? So how much can we afford to be vacant or not paying residents and before we break even and we start needing to bring money from, from reserves, if you like, from, from our pockets into the deal to service the, the debt and the expenses. And I like to see a minimum of 30% margin, minimum of 30% buffer, if you like, before we are breaking even, before we are actually needing to, to prop up the, the deal. So it's, so it's basically not cash flowing anymore. The third point, which are really, really important, especially for cash flow, is the amortization. What amortization can you actually sustain with the property? If you're buying a deal, which is the 1960s or even 1950s, maybe you have some people who start, they want to buy a fourplex, uh, which is the 1950s, do it up. Maybe the local lender, the community bank, maybe they'll only lend them 15%. Because more often than not, when there is a property that is older, until it's fixed and you invested money in it and you made, you made improvement to it so it could last longer, community banks might tell you, hey, we're not going to give you 25 years amortization. We're only going to give you 15 years. Mm -hmm. So you need to stress test and see how it would perform, knowing that perhaps two or three years down the track or even a year, you might be able to refinance it and then put it on 30 years agency debt if you're buying a, a big community, Freddie and Fannie, or maybe even a conventional loan if you're buying a triplex, you know, or a quadplex or even a duplex. So, so that's how we play with amortization to see how would that affect the cash flow. Very, very important. Another thing we're looking at is uh, the interest rate. Now we have at historic time low interest rate. We can get loans at 3.8%, even lower. We can get roughly around 4%. What would happen in five or six years down the track if the interest rate will go back to 6 to 7%? So yeah. we're playing with the interest rate as well. Do we you also look at historical data? Like when you're playing with these different financing options and interest rates, are you looking at cap rate compression uh, in the past and say, all right, I know that if interest rates go up two points and we need to sell during this time frame, what effect is that going to have on cap rates on that exit? Or are you, I mean, how, how do you look at what the effect of the outcome might be from that input, right? Yes. So, so we first we look at the at the market itself. So we, we need to establish, and that's something that's another whole different topic is about how to research a market. We teach that in the MIH Mastermind as well. How to teach up, uh, how to uh, how to find out if the market is going to be the right market for you. It, does it have enough job growth, population growth? What's the historic uh, unemployment rate? Is it more businesses moving into town? What's going on in the market? For example, Dallas, Texas, seven or eight years ago, wasn't in a good shape as it is now. Now, cap rates compressed, compressed so much, the market matured so much because there's so much demand, because there's so much job growth and population growth. So, so, so assuming a, a, an expansion in cap rate, if you like, in Dallas, 
you know, we, we will be less aggressive on the downside protection, if you like, on, 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 a, on a higher cap rate on exit, because we know that Dallas, Texas will have a good demand for, the, for, for a few years to come now because there's still population and job growth in the market. But we do, we do uh, bump the, the cap rate, the exit cap rate, like I said earlier, by at least 1%, 1.5% to see how it will perform. Some markets that, uh, that they are more uh, cyclical, like, for example, uh, Las Vegas, for example, some parts of Florida, or some, I know that in the last uh, downturn we had in global financial crisis, even Phoenix went down a lot. So some markets, they are more cyclical, they're more up and down. And some markets, they're more linear market, they're more steady as she goes. So in those markets, uh, we know that we're going to be a little bit less aggressive because we can predict uh, less movement, if you like. Yeah, makes sense. That makes sense. Now, when you're looking at all these different stress test points and when you're trying to understand the effect of these stress tests, is are these deal breakers? Are you looking for things that are going to say, hey, listen, that we don't like how this may out this outlet uh, this outlook may play out or is this just one of the things that you're just trying to understand for the sake of understanding it it's uh, it, well it, it's usually it's usually correlates and intertwined with different metrics to do with the deal itself so if there is enough upside for example you're buying an asset that has a 25% loss to lease meaning that the rents can be increased to market by 25%, they're 25% below market rents. So I bought a property, I bought 45 units a few months ago. Uh, it was a mom and pop, they owned it for 35 years, they built it. The, the father built it, he passed away, and now, now they wanted to sell. The rents for the two bedroom units were 445 to 450, while market rent is 625. So, you know, we, I know that uh, there is so much upside to the rent so although I bought it in year one, it, it's going to be, it was a little bit of a, a transition period. You know, even mm -hmm. if you stressed it when the rents are so low and we had some vacancy, it's not going to be performing great. You know, it's not going to be uh, throwing cash flow within the next six months. But once it's stabilized, once we got that rent up, then we know that, uh, that we, we managed to add value. We managed to reposition the asset. And then we see the stress testing from there. So it's very important to, to also look Look ahead what you're planning to do with the property and, uh, and, and, and ignore, not ignore, but, but not pay attention for, for the current situation, especially if the asset is distressed. Because you might be buying the property at a very low cap rate and it's, it's going to be, you, you, know, you need to prop up a little bit in the beginning because it's distressed. But what's important is where you can take the property to. That is the opportunity. The opportunity is that you're buying a property that is underperforming. Of course, it's going to be a low cap rate because you're, you're calculating the, the, the net operating income on rents which are 20% below market and on vacancies, for example, which are 20%, which, are which is, it's not normal in that market. So it really depends on the deal and it really depends. But to, to, to answer your question, we look on, uh, on, uh, on, on cash on cash return, what's going to be, you yeah. know, once the property is stabilized. We look on the internal rate of return, which means what is the equity growth plus the cash of cash return, what is the total return on, on, on that investment. And the most important part, um, if you like, moving forward, that could help you to have the velocity of money that could help you to move into the next deal, is, uh, is, is your, uh, your opportunity to create enough equity 
and enough cash flow so you can refinance and roll your money into the next deal. Yeah. If I can't do it, I will not invest because that means that I lose the velocity of money. I put, for example, 500000 in the deal and I can't take it out once the property is stable to reinvest it. Yeah. So if I can't do that, I'm stuck. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, this it, it seems to be more important today than ever to be stress testing deals because of where we're at in the market cycle. Um, real estate has never been more expensive. Um, and a lot of people like to ask, well, should I be buying now or not? And I like to say, that's not how I invest, right? I invest on a deal. I don't invest on a market cycle because I can't predict the ups and downs and a good deal will be good throughout it. But one of the things we look at was I stress test. So I have to be looking at in this stage of the cycle, what do I need to be prepared for? That changes where I invest, for example. So, uh, when we're at the top of a, a a, a development cycle, for example, I'm looking at inventory hitting the market and I'm stress testing what will the hell will this asset perform if we see X amount of inventory coming coming up or if there's going to be a contraction and I look for my margin of safety, right? I want to know the spread. I want to know when this goes down because it will, what are the what effect is that going to have on the asset and is this going to become a problem? And for me, I'm like, if this is going to become a problem, I may think twice about ever doing this deal because it's not if, it's when. So for me, I look for the value add and that creates that margin of safety like you just explained. So that deal that you're buying at a cap rate, whatever it is, a five cap doesn't really matter, and you're at 450, but rents are at 650, you go, we get it up to 650, even in downturns, we can come off those rents because we've increased them so much that it won't affect us. And that is, you know, that's really one of the areas that we focus on and how you find and understand that and how you find your margin of safety and what it needs to come. That is through stress testing. That is through yep. understanding performance of the asset in different economic environments. Um, and I see a lot of people right now, um, particularly people that have never been through downturns and that have never seen, um, you know, different uh, periods in the real estate cycle where they're buying um you know, the picture perfect investment, as in it's picture perfect, only if it's picture perfect. If things go south, that investment is not. And I see that a lot right now, where they're buying off expectations of a wonderland that nothing yeah. ever goes wrong. Uh, and when you stress test those deals, they don't play out great. Now, once again, though, I don't predict markets. So if it always goes up, they'll do fine. But if it goes down, it's going to hurt, right? That is yes. a risk that is just not, I'm not willing to take because that to me is gambling. I'm expecting yes. everything to go perfect. And that never happens. Uh, so for me, I can't, it can't be a throwing it all on red or black, right? I need a variety of options that this is going to work out and it's going to work out great. It should only be under very unforeseen circumstances that these things play out. And look at where we are at now in COVID. You mentioned this, the difference between economic occupancy, right? And um, normal occupancy. You may be 100% full, but if 20% of your tenants aren't paying, you have an 80% economic occupancy. And did you ever underwrite for that, right? I know people that have bought hotels, they never in a million years would have underwritten at an economic occupancy of 20%, yet there they are. 
Um, yet I have friends in the hotel business that are very, very good at what they do. They had large cash reserves because they went through 08 and they said, we need to have extended year cash on hand in case we have a period of severe low economic occupancy. And not only is he doing fine, right? He's not great. He's not happy about it, but they're paying their bills. He just opened up a fund and they're going to go buy distressed assets. Now he's in a position to take advantage because of stress testing. And he used these different market cycles to benchmark off of. So I, I love this subject because it's so critical to your investment decision. Um, and Hadar, let me ask you this. When you're looking all over the United States and you're stress testing markets, what are your no-go's? Right. So when you're looking at these things, when you see something, what are the things that you see that say, hey, we, we got to this is something we need to walk away from? It comes down to choosing a market. So the first the first market that I want, first of all, I got two metrics that I look for, because I if I want capital growth and I want those 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 strong market with population and low cap rate, I can stay in New Zealand. I don't have to come to the U.S. for that. So the first thing that I look at is price to rent ratio. I want to have a reasonable price to rent ratio. So it means that uh, the property will cash flow. The second very important uh, uh, indication is that uh, I like to choose a market which uh, has strong population, but it, it has a diversity of employment. I don't like markets that have uh, one employment yeah. town, like a timber mill or, or, yep. or a steel fa factory or something that if they go kaput, then a lot of people lose their job and then you, you're hurting. Consolidation I don't even of like risk. Yes, and I don't even like uh, students down as much because yeah. of that for that reason. Um, you, you know, but one thing to mention that you you touched on and it's very important just to reiterate is and and when you're talking about that, it's important to investors get to know your market intimately and yes. get to know what's going on in your market because you talked about uh, about potential of oversupply of new construction, for example, what's the absorption rates? You know, if, if there is a lot of building going on, would, would, would rent soften in the next few years because there's a lot of new stock coming to the market and those developers are going to start offering concessions because they want to fill up their units. So getting to know your market is very, very important. Yes. Uh, supply versus absorption, which is a, a point that you touched on, very important. Yeah, Thank you know, you. In, in in my world of uh, self storage, that's my my focus area. This has been something that I've been talking about for a long time because there's some markets that the inventory coming on, even in these fast growing markets, right? I, the inventory coming on that it's outpacing the growth. So the amount of units coming on compared to what's already on the market and demand is assuming that these high growth rates of like four, 5% population growth rates or historical highs will absolutely continue. And when we stress test in those markets, I go, what happens when your interest rates in housing goes up two points? The housing market shuts down. I mean, if we had a two-point increase in interest rates because inflation starts to heat up, the housing market will stall in the United States. Nobody totally. is going to be paying at these prices, you know, 5% interest in a mortgage. They can't. They can't afford it. When I look at that and I say, that is going to take your 5% growth rate in some of these cities down to two, 
um, you're going to have a mass inventory of these storage units sitting on the market. And one of the major things that these storage units fill up on is in because of movement. People are moving around, right? So it almost overinflates to the demand. You have a contraction and that's, that, that hurts you. We look at that and we look intimately at those markets to understand why are people moving there? And we try and understand the inventory, the supply, what the demand is, like what ratio of the percentage of demand is being utilized by people that are exchanging houses, right? And how, sh how long is that lifetime? Are they, is their average time three months or is it a year and a half? These questions really matter when you're stress testing because that can change your occupancy level extremely, like, you know, really big. And if you get that wrong, and then you're surprised. And, you know, I got to hit on this other thing too, Hadar, because this is just awesome having you on. I love to, what you're talking about. You, what Everything that, Hadar, you're talking about right now is you don't want to be surprised. Nobody wants to be surprised. I'm an investor. I don't want surprises. That's not what I'm looking for, right? I'm looking for a predictable rate of return. <laughs> and so when you talk about this, you know, that's exactly what we're trying. You're trying to reduce the risk, like you mentioned. Now, there's one other thing, thing I, I got to mention uh, here, Hardar, because I, I just think this is awesome. So many people out there that are saying, my market's too expensive. I can't invest in it. You live across the world. And you're going to other markets to invest in, in the United States. So someone in San Francisco to think that they need to go over to Oklahoma, it's not that far. Yeah, make it happen. You see, we're making it happen. You know, we grab the bull by the horn and we just make it happen. You know, it's a, it's just an approach. And that goes down to another discussion, uh, which is the mindset. You know how it yeah. is. Sometime in real estate, uh, things are not easy. You know, it takes yeah. it takes a long time to pick up momentum. But once you pick up momentum, you have to pursue it. You have to persevere and you have to make it happen and, and make sure that you are execute on your plan. It's, uh, it's very important. Yeah, a lot of people in the U.S., uh, they got limited belief. They can't drive yes. three hours to a market in a, in a different state. They think it's a big deal. So yep. I'm the I'm the example uh, for everybody who's watching that, that if you make your mind to it, if you put your mind to it, you can really do it. You just have to build a team around you. You need to make sure that you choose the right market. You need to be prepared to travel to that market regularly. But uh, the key is to really build a, a good team on the ground. And it's doable. There's many yes. ways to do it. You know, it's a whole different conversation. But, you know, I like to, to share, AJ, take this opportunity that on the MIH Mastermind website, there is a tab there. It says Education tab. If they go and click on that tab, they can download an ebook, free ebook and a video course about how to invest out of area, multifamily, successful, and another ebook about the real estate cycle, which is both those things we, we talked about. Yeah. So if you want to jump awesome. on the website, you can see you can see those two uh, giveaways. Perfect. And that's a, you know, kind of a, a, a great way here to kind of wrap up. That's where people should go and find you. Yes. MIHmastermind.com. So MIHmastermind.com website. Perfect. And we'll put that in the show notes and everything. Hey, and with that, uh, Hadar, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. I appreciate your insight. This was a very important and useful topic that people need to be doing. Appreciate it. Everybody go check them out. And uh, thanks again. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at Cashflow with the number 2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.